Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. Good to see you guys today. The associate campus pastor, Leonard Davis, if we had a, have, haven't had a chance to meet. Uh, and I just want to listen, I, it's, it's just such a gift to me to be a part um, of this church. I feel so seen and, and loved and, uh, and valued. And, and so many people um, were like, man, I'm not from Kansas City, but, but, but I'm, I'm with you, Doc. And, um, and so I just, appreciate, I just appreciate your love. And the, the way that you guys celebrated with me uh, when we had that Chiefs victory. And so I really appreciate it. So I'm still rejoicing. Um, Bria, Bria mentioned my verse that, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice. And, and that's the state I'm in. So I appreciate you guys. And, and for those of you all that oppose me, um, uh, Luke 6 talks about loving your enemies. And so um, I, just, I just love you with the love of the Lord. All right. Um, and so I, I was going to have more of a, a situation going on, but, but, uh, but it, it hasn't come to my house. I'm so um, kind of disappointed, but uh, I do have on a hat uh, to represent. Uh, if in case you can't see it in the back, it's an arrowhead with kingdom in the middle. Um, but listen, I, you know, I, I'm a little old school, um, and so I can't preach with this on. There, there's nothing that's preventing me from preaching with this on. I just want to make it abundantly clear. But I, I, although, yeah, I'm just a little old school, so I can't preach with it. So I'm gonna take it off. It's just gonna sit right here for a little bit, okay? Um, but it's gonna be near. <laughs> I'll be trying. Okay, all right. Uh, so gotta get together. <laughs> we gonna get into it. Oh, I'm excited. Okay. Hey, listen. So uh, the scripture we're in today, at the center of the controversy, is the Sabbath, right? And the Sabbath, you, you think about it. Most of you may know that that it's this day, one day a week, where you're supposed to stop and, and you're supposed to rest. And um, and I was thinking about the Sabbath, and and one of the things I thought about was um, the, this fable of the tortoise and the hare. Um, because because uh, some would testify that, that when you observe the Sabbath, you experience even greater um, productivity, but it doesn't make sense because how am I going to be more productive when I'm literally taking out a 25-hour period that allows me to be productive? And so it doesn't make sense. And so, so this idea of the tortoise and the hare doesn't make sense either because why would a, a, a tortoise challenge a hare, which is a, a, something like a rabbit, because uh, a rabbit is clearly faster than, than a turtle. Uh, but in the fable, what you would understand is you would see that the, the turtle does, the tortoise does, in fact, um, beat the hare. And then it reminded me of this right here. I was like, oh, I know this fable uh, because this is what I watched um, growing up. A little Looney Tunes. Any 80s babies in the room? Oh, yeah. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I would come home after school, and I would watch me some Looney Tunes. This is when cartoons were good. This humor, listen, I wanted to show the whole clip, but I couldn't because I know I was probably going to run long. Uh, but they, they get off, and then, the, then the, uh, the tortoise got these rockets that come out of its, its shell, and it zooms past, and then, then the rabbit comes, and he steals the shell from the he steals the shell from the turtle, and then he zooms off, and then the rabbit comes up and pours, pours water in the, the shell. And it's just hilarious. Anyway, I love the humor, and I just wanted to shout out Looney Tunes and cartoons and, and uh, 80s babies and all that kind of stuff. So we're talking about the Sabbath today, but, but we're going to get into it. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 6. We're in Luke chapter 6, and uh, we're going to be in verses 1 through 11. And so I'm going to read that. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get started. Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through um, 11. It says this. <clears throat> um, on the Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, 
rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why, um, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, he entered the, he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, verse 6, on another Sabbath, he, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and the man was there whose, hand, whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man uh, with a withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, uh, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust uh, the, uh, with one another uh, that they might what they might do to Jesus. And so we're going to get started. We're going to kind of march through um, this section of Scripture and kind of unpack it and see what it has um, for us today. So we're going to begin uh, going back to this, this first verse in chapter 6. It says, On the Sabbath, while he was going uh, through the grain fields, the disciples plucked and, uh, and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But, but some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And so let's give some context to, to kind of what's going on. So you have the, the disciples, they're, they're going through a grain field. And so um, it may not be typically what you think of now when you think of a, a, a broad uh, a field, um, but, but in, in fields in those days, there would be paths that would kind of go through the fields. And so the disciples and Jesus are, are kind of going through the paths and um, they're taking uh, grain, um, they're taking grain, they're plucking it and they're, and they're eating it because uh, they were hungry, which is, which is totally permissible by the way, right? Um, you can look in Deuteronomy chapter 4. It's, it's called gleaning. The Lord made a way and made provision for people um, that were poor. Uh, I want to stay there, but, but I don't have time to, but it just points to, to the goodness of God. And so they're, they're going through the fields and, and they're gleaning and they're getting some grain um, because they are hungry. And then, and then out of nowhere, you got the disciples that just pop up. I wish I was there to see what this looked like because it's either going to play out one or two ways. So either the, 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 the Pharisees and the scribes were following behind them the entire way, which is very awkward because you'd be walking forward and looking back, and they're just, they're just present behind you, which is very strange. And so either that was the thing, or, or they were just in some grain and just popped out and was like, hi, I gotcha, you know? Eating that grain on the Sabbath, Doc. I just, I just wonder what that was like. It just doesn't make sense to me. So I just, I just wish I was there to experience that. And so, but they're there, and they're accusing them of, of doing what is unlawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, think about it. At this point, what we know what the Sabbath is is just to stop and to rest. And so it doesn't appear that there's anything wrong with, with what they are doing. Uh, but yet the, the, the Pharisees are saying, that, oh, man, you are, you are breaking the law. And so let's give even, even greater context to, to, to what this is. And last week, if you were here, Steve Carter was, was giving us a window into, into what would happen with, um, with rabbis. He talked about, talked about Rabbi uh, Shammai and Hillel, and, and he kind of gave us a window, a window into uh, their debates. 
And so this would happen, right? And so the, the law of Moses was there, the, the Mosaic law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And, and what would happen is there's this process of trying to figure out, man, how does this apply? Um, how does this apply to my life? And so, so they, would, they would have these debates um, and they would have these teachings. And so and these things were recorded uh, through oral tradition, meaning that they would be, they would be passed down from, from generation to generation um, orally, what the rabbis would, would debate about and, and what they would teach. And so eventually uh, what happened is, is these, these teachings and these debates that were recorded uh, orally, they were recorded uh, in a written form. And it's called the Talmud. And so in the Talmud, right, to, to show you how extensive um, uh, uh, the laws were on the Sabbath, the Talmud, uh, 24 chapters of it were dedicated to Sabbath restrictions alone. So you see how significant, you see how extensive, you see how complicated it is um, these restrictions were uh, on the Sabbath. And then even to this day when it comes to, to Orthodox Jews that you would see in Jerusalem, man, this, this still bears a lot of weight and a lot of significance to their lives and is central to their lives. So, for example, I think even Steve mentioned it last week, right? Um, if you're in Jerusalem, you go to a building, they have Sabbath elevators, which means that there's, there's no, no buttons. You don't push any button because that would be work. And so they stop at every floor. And so if you're on the Sabbath and you're there, you would go in the Sabbath elevator. Um, you don't want to push a button because that will be working. And it would stop at every single floor. Uh, and quite honestly, it would just get on my nerves. I don't think I would be able to deal with it. I mean, I mean, I, listen, I'm, I'll stop there. But it just would be, I'm so impatient. I would want to get to the thing that I want to go enjoy. Um, so it seems kind of wild. And another thing um, that, that happened, right, 1992, there was some apartments where, um, where an apartment caught on fire. And so uh, a man had a question like, oh, man, I should call the fire department. But me picking up the phone and making a call would be me breaking an electrical current, so that would be work. So let me go holler at my rabbi to figure out if it would be unlawful for me to call the fire department. And so in the time it took for him to, to, to consult with the rabbi, um, his apartment burned down. And then three other apartments burned down in that 30-minute time span. And so this is, this is how people experienced the Sabbath. And this is, what it was, this is what it was like for them. And so for the disciples, we see what they were guilty of, of on that day, right? So for them, um, there were some, also some things that were forbidden, 39 things that were forbidden altogether on the Sabbath, right? And so for them, for them from them plucking, from them um, um, uh, rubbing it together to get the chaff away and the blood away and to eat it, right? They, they violated four of those things, which is reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. So all those things were, were in violation. They were in violation of all four um, of those things. And so what we want to do, though, is we see kind of, kind of what, what the Sabbath was like for them in that time. We want to continue to gain a greater perspective. We do want to be grounded in what the Sabbath was supposed to be about in the first place before we, we solidify our perspective on, on how they experienced the Sabbath. And so um, um, there's a guy named Pete Cazero, um, and in the following Jesus course that, that happened here over the fall, uh, we studied one of his books called uh, Emotionally, uh, Spirit, Emotional Spirituality. Uh, emotionally healthy spirituality, excuse me. And so Pete Gazzaro, he talks about the Sabbath, and we talked about it. And so, so here's what Pete Gazzaro said the, the Sabbath was. Pete Gazzaro says this. He says, biblical Sabbath is a, a 24-hour block of time in which we, we stop work, we enjoy rest, and we practice delight and contemplate God. 
right? So the first one, we, we stop, we, we cease all work, unpaid and paid. It's this, it's this acknowledgement that, man, if I stop working, everything will continue on. The world will not end. And God is still on the throne, right? It's this first act, is, is, it, it, it forces me to place limitations on my life. So the first one is to, to stop. The next one is to rest, meaning that I'm going to engage on purpose, intentionally, in activities that restore me and replenish me. The next one is delight. Delight meaning that, man, I'm going to enjoy. I'm going to enjoy God's creation, and I'm going to enjoy the gifts that he has given me. And then lastly, I'm going to contemplate. I'm going to, man, I'm going to focus on all the ways that I experience God's love through the gifts that he's given me. I'm going to contemplate his love. And if you've experienced the Sabbath, if you've, if you've done this, man, it is a beautiful thing. Right, so, so I try, my Sabbath is, is Friday, so if you holler at me on a Thursday, I'm probably not going to get back to you on, till, mon- I mean, till Monday, because I'm here with you Sunday, and I'm not looking at nothing on Friday, so just know that that's kind of what's going on if you don't hear from me. It's not because I'm being irresponsible. I'm on my Sabbath, okay? So, so Friday is my Sabbath, and so it's just, it's just an amazing thing to, to move at a slower pace. It's an amazing thing for me to, to, to look at something in creation and, and I don't have to rush off and go to the next thing. Like, like no, let me, let me sit here for a minute. Let me look at the beauty of what the Lord created. If, if, if I'm in God's word and normally, you know, there's a lot of things I got going on, but if I'm in God's word and, and I see something in particular that stands out to me, I, I, get, a, I get a chance to tarry. I get to be in his word. I get to pray with no restrictions, with with no rush, with, with no hurry. Man, sometimes I contemplate his goodness, and it's not, it's not out of the ordinary for me to just begin to weep because I begin to understand all the ways that God has been good to me in my life. Pete also, he also said this. He said, instead of Sabbath being um, an imposition, we need to embrace it as an essential delivery system for God's love. Man, you want to experience more of the love of the Father, man, there's an opportunity for you to do so in the Sabbath. But today, man, my heart is burdened for people that experience and are, are um, man, that struggle and are crippled by uh, stress, um, anxiety, and depression. And I just want to acknowledge right off the bat that I understand and acknowledge the need for medication and for treatment. So here, here what I'm saying. I'm not saying that that stuff isn't necessary. Oh, it is. But what I'm, what I'm saying, though, is I believe that people experience these things, the stress, the anxiety, and depression. And I, I believe it's not a condition in, in, in some cases. I believe that people that are just overtaken by the weight and the pressures of life. And so here's what happens when, you, when, you, when your life is marked by working and striving and, and producing. You, you live life through a lens where you look at it only through what you can do and what you can accomplish. So then stress and the anxiety that comes, it's almost, it's almost inevitable because you're trying to do something that you can't do. Like we are made to be dependent Upon him, and so when we proceed in life apart from him, then that's when we experience the, the anxiety and, and, and the stress. But here's the deal if, if, you, if you've had the opportunity, though, if you've ever stopped, and, and, and you stopping has given you an opportunity 
for you to experience the Lord to come through in a way that you know you had nothing to do with, man, it's an amazing experience. Has anyone here had an opportunity to experience the Lord do something amazing in your life and you know you had nothing to do with it? I mean, my wife already testified, right? So I just remember one Christmas for us, uh, man, it was a little lean. And I'm like, well, um, it's just going to be a lean Christmas. But, but it didn't uh, uh, impact our demeanor. It didn't impact our joy. We continued by faith, right? Uh, we were going to enjoy Christmas. And then out of the blue, I mean, out of nowhere, this person, we didn't even know him for a year. And they just blessed us with a $500 Amazon gift card. Or like I remember there's been times in our marriage, and man, if you're honest with me, marriage is beautiful, but man, marriage is also challenging. And there's been times where I'm like, man, like, like man, I, I, we just need to get over this hump, this obstacle. And, and, but I said, you know what, I'm going to continue in the faith. I'm going to continue to love my wife and serve my wife, even though this is a difficult season. And through my faithfulness, um, what I acknowledged and then what I saw was one time Andrew coming to me and saying, hey, um, the Lord spoke to me about this. And it was the very thing that I had been praying about. I had nothing to do with that. But I stopped and I knew where my place stopped and I knew where the Lord could step in, right, because of the rhythm, because of the dependency. And so, so when we stop and we rest, right, we acknowledge our limitations, where our limitations begin and then the opportunity then for the Lord to step in. And then if he steps in, if you, if you witness that one time, when it comes again, the next time you, you have more of an ability to maybe loosen the grip on your life. It's not as scary to relinquish control over your life. And you begin to understand this rhythm that God had made us for. And so it goes on uh, this time. It's, uh, it's uh, Eugene Peterson. Here's what he says about the Sabbath. He says, Sabbath is not primarily about, about us and how it benefits us. It's about how God um, about God and how God is forming us. So through the Sabbath, we are experiencing a formation. And so we continue to do this over and over and over, and we get this rhythm and knowing about, like, like man, where my limitations start and where I need to make room for the Lord then to, to step in. And then I get a chance to watch God work on my behalf and experience his love. So God's Sabbath is amazing, and he is good. Because of the Sabbath. And so, listen, so we talked about the Sabbath, and so we go back to the text. We go back to the text to see what's going on, right? So, so, so the disciples are, are coming. I'm sorry, the, the Pharisees are coming for Jesus. And so, um, and now we see the laws are, are, are a little bit ridiculous, right? We see that based on what, what, um, how the Pharisees are imposing these laws, we see the ridiculous nature, right, of how Jesus must perceive their enforcement of these laws. We see that the Sabbath, instead of being the, the best time of the, or the, or the, or the, the favorite time of the week, it is becoming the, the worst time of the week because of the oppression and the repressive nature of these Sabbath restrictions. And they can't even be free to just live their lives. And so then we see Jesus, he comes, and what does he say? Jesus says this in verse 3. It says, and Jesus answered them, um, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? He entered the house of God and, and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. So basically what, what, uh, what Jesus is saying, he's acknowledging an earlier part in Scripture. He says, hey, man, don't you read your Bible? That's an insult, right, because the Pharisee, they had the whole Old Testament memorized. 
So they had it memorized, yet they did not know what it meant. Man, have you, haven't you read your Bible? Don't you know what David did when he was running from Saul and, and him and his folks needed something to eat? They went to the priest. And, and they went to the priest and said, hey, man, we're hungry. We need something to eat. And the priest was like, hold on. I don't have any common bread here. But they, I got this, I got this, this bread of presence, this, this bread that, that, uh, that's holy, this bread that's, that's consecrated. And, and normally it's, not, it's only for me to eat once it's done. But, but what I acknowledge here in this moment is that uh, mercy and compassion supersedes ritual and ceremony. So what the priest did is he, he gave them the bread and allowed them to eat. And this is a divine law. So in other words, like, like if, 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 if it's permissible for me to violate a divine law from God, right, so that there can be mercy and compassion extended, how much more can we violate a man-made law so that mercy and compassion can be, can be extended? And so then we go to the next verse, and, and, and Jesus, he drops a bomb on them. He says, um, and he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That would have been a big deal for them to hear. I wish I could have seen their faces when he dropped that bomb on them, right? But, but we see this progression. Jesus is bursting onto the scene, and he says, hey, man, listen, I got authority over demons. He says, I have authority over disease, right? I have the authority to forgive sins. And then now he comes to Sabbath and says, man, I have authority over the Sabbath. In other words, which is to say, even if I did violate the Sabbath, because I'm Lord of the Sabbath, it doesn't matter. He says, man, I have the authority to interpret the law. I have the authority to say what's permissible and, not what's, and what's not permissible on the Sabbath. Like, what are you doing? He's like, man, it's my prerogative, little, little Bobby Brown, to live how I'm on to live. Huh? Little Bobby Brown, it's my prerogative, doc. Coming to me about the Sabbath, and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Come on, man. What you talking about? Man, get out of here. Right? We're going to keep marching. Then it says, verse 6. It says, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, right? And a man was there whose, whose right hand was, was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. <clears throat> but he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, um, come and stand here. And he rose and he stood there. <clears throat> Listen, I love this encounter because I love Jesus' boldness. I love his presence. I'm going to say his presence. I love, I love his swag. I love everything that, that he brings. There was another moment um, in Luke in chapter 4, if you've been reading along with us, where Jesus was, was in the synagogue and <laughs> he, was, he was reading Isaiah 61, which is the Messianic prophecy. And he reads it, rolls up the scroll, hands it off, goes sit down. And it was like, this scripture has been fulfilled today. And then he like, they were so upset that he tried to throw the man off the cliff. And Jesus stepped and like, and then he, he escaped the crowd. I was like, man, that's cold-blooded, doc. And so listen, this is on par. I love Jesus in his energy and his boldness and his confidence. This is on par with that because, because Jesus is there, right? He's a teacher. He teaches with authority. So they would want Jesus to teach in the synagogues. And he's there and he, and he knows. He knows what, what the, the Pharisees are thinking. Um, and he's there and the, and the man's there with the withered hand. Uh, and, man, I just imagine if I were there, if I were in the room, if I had known about Jesus and how he healed and, and all those miracles and I'm there and Jesus is there and, and I see the man with the withered hand there, I would imagine, man, I'd be on the edge of my seat. 
yo, what Jesus about to do, son? This is about to be crazy. Like, I would be, like, losing my mind because I have an opportunity. Is he going to heal him? Is he not? Because, because it would lead me, if I saw him do the miracle, man, I would love him. I would follow him. I'd be amazed. I would adore him. But that's not with the, that's not with the Pharisees. That's not the energy. The Pharisees are their front and center. And they see the man with the withered hand. And they look into Jesus. And Jesus knows their thoughts. And Jesus, being cold-blooded as he is, he orchestrates a, a confrontation. He orchestrated the confrontation. And he said, all right, I know what y'all thinking. Man, come here. Come here. Stay here. I, I need you real quick, right? And so this says this. And Jesus said to them, this is so cold-blooded. I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And it says, and after and after looking around at them, I'll pause there because it's an awkward place to pause, but after looking around at them, so he asked this question. He gets to the heart of the matter. Listen, you want me to do good or bad on the Sabbath? You want me to give life? Like, what you want me to do? And he looked at them. It said he just looked at them. What's he going to say? Because if he agreed with him, oh, it's, it's, it's good, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath, then he would give them credibility in violating the very laws that they are guarding against. So they couldn't say anything. And he healed the man. And it says this. He says, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust, and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. So you have the Pharisees. They, had, they saw the man with the withered hand, but they didn't care about him being healed. They didn't even care about the Sabbath because they wanted Jesus to break the Sabbath. They wanted Jesus to violate their laws so that they could, so that they could accuse him. And then also what you experience is you experience them um, in their hypocrisy. Because how are you going to be a guardian of the Sabbath laws and its restriction and you letting hatred bubble up inside your heart? So you also got this hypocrisy that, that, the, that uh, the Pharisees had here in this moment. And so what you have here, you have Jesus, man. He is attacking the system. And that's why they're so upset. He's attacking the system. He's attacking the system of, of, of table fellowship. He's attacking the system of fasting. And now he's attacking the system of the big daddy of the mall, central to Jewish life, and he's attacking the Sabbath. Why? Because the whole system is rooted in self-righteousness. I mean, they're literally preaching to people, hey, you follow these laws and you will have favor with God. You follow these laws and you will earn your salvation. And as a result of this, this self-righteousness that's a part of this system, you have um, man, people being judged. And, and so as, as opposed to people being brought in, people are being pushed away. You have this, this system that's breeding a lack of, of compassion for people that are in need. You have this, this presence of hypocrisy of people putting everything into following these, these religious laws and these uh, ceremonies and these rituals instead of their heart being towards the Lord. And so Jesus is saying, like, listen, man, I'm coming to do things a different way. I, and, the, and the way I'm doing it is the way because I'm doing it in a way, in the way it was meant to be done the entire time. But listen, though, we can't be too, we can't be too hard. 
We can't be too hard on the Pharisees in this moment. Because the reality is, what was present then is still present today. So real quick, I'm, I'm, um, there's a, a study that was done by Gallup. Real quick, go ahead. All right, Doc. All right, there's a study. There was a study done by, by Gallup, and they were, they were, um, they were, um, they wanted to know, uh, man, what it would take for millennials to, to kind of be a part of the church. And so here's what the study found. Uh, it was conducted in 2015, and so um, it says it found that a substantial, a substantial, excuse me, majority of millennials who who don't go to church say they see Christians as judgmental. That was 87 percent. 85 percent saw Christians as hypocritical. 70 percent saw Christians as insensitive to others. And so I read this, I'm like, yo, I'm blown away because I'm like, that's exactly what we see in the text. We see the Pharisees being judgmental towards uh, the, Jesus and his disciples. We see the hypocrisy, right, um, where, where everything is about following all these rules, but yet their heart is far from the Lord. And we see this insensitivity. Man, this man got healed and you don't even rejoice. And matter of fact, you have hatred in your heart. This is exactly what we see in the text. And so the same energy that, that Jesus has for this time, for, because of the, self, the self-righteousness, right, we should have the same energy towards this idea of self-righteousness in the church today. But listen, but here's the problem. The problem is this. Uh, man, it's really hard to convince someone, someone that they are self-righteous. 100%. Right, and I don't have the time to help lead y'all to discovery about your self righteousness. Okay, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at we're gonna look at uh, the fruit of self righteousness, right? Because the Bible says you know a tree by its fruit, and so we're gonna look at the the fruit of of self righteousness. Um, and hope that that helps us get to where we need to go. So uh, I'm going to conduct a little bit of an experiment here, so, so bear with me. Uh, I don't know how this is going to go, but I think it's going to go well because it worked on me, okay? <clears throat> I want you to think about someone in your life that you don't like, okay? Think about someone you don't like. Now, listen, now hold on now. Now, if, if, if they disrespect you or they harmed you, I'm not talking about them, okay, because I get that. I get that. Matter of fact, if that's you, you let us know, and we're going to pull up, and we're going to handle that. You know what I'm saying? We're going to pull up. Hey, it's FCC. What? Okay. <laughs> you let us know, we pull up, if that's the case. But listen, I'm talking about, I'm talking about, like, if you know someone, and you would say, man, they get on my last nerve, right? I'm talking about that level, right? So think about that person that you don't like, that you might say, man, they get on my last, Elizabeth laughing, um, they get on my last nerve, okay? Now think about that. Now think about the reason why you don't like that person, okay? You got me? So you got the person in your mind that you're on your last nerve. Don't act like you don't have one, right? We all got one. There's at least one. Think of that person. Think about why they get on your last nerve, okay? Now I'll ask you two questions. The first question is this. Do they get on your nerves or do you not like them because they don't match a standard that you have for them? So, for example, there may be some, I got to be careful because if someone's listening to this, they may understand that I don't like them, right? So I got to be really, got to be really careful with what I'm saying here. I've thought about this. So think about this. Think about uh, maybe someone gets on your nerves because um, you don't like the way they parent their children, right? Like, man, because you feel like, man, like, the kids shouldn't be running around like that. Right? 
But now let me ask you this question. Um, now think about that standard. Think about the standard that they don't meet. Um, then ask yourself this question. Um, how do you feel about yourself meeting that standard? Do you feel good about the fact that you? Because, is it, because if I'm upset with someone, how they're raising their kids, in my mind, I'm like, because my character, character right? Because there is some perception I have of myself and the standard that I have, right? I have some perception of my ability to meet that standard. If that was the case, I wouldn't, if that wasn't the case, I wouldn't, that person would get on my nerves. Does that make sense? So if you, if the person you identified that got on your nerves, if, that, if, if, if you said yes to the fact that, well, you're holding them to a standard, and then if you also said yes to the fact that, that you feel pretty good about yourself meeting that standard, that you may have a little bit of self-righteousness in you. And that's just the reality. And the reality for me is this whole time I'm writing this sermon, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. Uh, I'm tearing this up, right? And then, and then I'm seeking the Lord for revelation, and then I'm like, oh, man. Because I'm like, the whole time, I'm not self-righteous. Look at these Pharisees. Oh, man, they're horrible. Oh, they trash. And like, oh, shucks, I'm self-righteous. <laughs> and then I start thinking about all that. Oh, man. But this is the reality, and this is, this is the truth, right? And so this is what we have, and we have to acknowledge the fact that, that we have self-righteousness. And so, so then the challenge is, um, how, can you, uh, how can you perform an act of love for that person? How can you, how can you is there a window or, or an opportunity for you to have compassion for that person? And that's what we're talking about. You pay attention to everything that's going on inside of you right now as you think about living that out. And the reality is this. The opposite of, of self-righteousness is brokenness. The reality is what the Lord requires of us is, ha- is to have a level of brokenness. What that means is that before the Lord, I understand that there's nothing that I can be confident in but Jesus Christ. I can't even be confident on, on what I perceive my ability is to meet any standard that I have. I can't be confident in my own ability. I can't be confident in my leadership. I can't be confident in my parenting. I can't be confident in my money. The only thing that we can be confident in as believers in Jesus Christ is Jesus. And so when you come, 100%. So when you come from that level of brokenness, you then have the ability to love. So one thing for you to write down, the fruit of our fellowship with Jesus is seen in how we love ourselves and how we love others. So if you, if you are taking an assessment of your relationships and how you love, and if you realize, I man, you don't do a good job in loving people and loving yourself, then there might be an indication that there's something broken about your fellowship with Jesus. And so... Going back to the, the study, the millennials, right? Let me go through these stats again. 87% of, of those millennials that didn't go to church, it was because they felt that, they felt that Christians are judgmental. 85% of them felt that Christians were hypocritical. 70% of them felt that Christians are insensitive to others. And so when I read those, those things, they, they break my heart. And I'll tell you why. Because the reality is, is that those percentages, they represent people. They represent people that are lost. They represent people that are broken. They represent people that, that, um, that are looking for life in all the wrong places. They truly are sheep without a shepherd. 
And what breaks my heart is this. Do you know how they came to form those opinions? They interact with us. You look at people in, in the church all across our country. They interact with us. And so through our interactions, they have formed these opinions. And when I think about, like, and so when I think about people, and I, when I think about my role as a Christian, I'm like, yo, I, um, if I fail in something, that's because I haven't brought people into the church, right? We need to do a better job of bringing people into the church so they can come and be exposed and come to the feet of Jesus. But what this says is that, no, no, it's not that I'm not doing my job of bringing people into the church. It's I'm a part of the problem. Like, I'm working against the kingdom of what God wants to do because of my self-righteousness. And so we have an opportunity. We play a role then to change the narrative. We have an opportunity and we play a role and for that not being the case um, for the church. And that's what we have to consider today when it comes to our, our self-righteousness. So I don't know about you guys, but for me, this, this study in Luke has been really good. I've, I've really enjoyed it. We just, uh, you should have read Luke 6 last week. And then this week, we're going to uh, do Luke 7. So I encourage you guys, if you haven't joined us in that journey, um, I encourage you to do it. There's some good stuff in the scriptures. And it's, it, it gets even better when you choose to, to talk it over with someone, right, and see what the Lord reveals to both of you guys and have that fellowship. <clears throat> so definitely do that in this week. But, man, listen, I think about what we discussed today. I think about the Sabbath, which is central to this text, and this fact that God is offering us uh, an opportunity to enjoy his rest. And so instead of you being uh, overwhelmed, instead of you being overwhelmed with trying to figure out, man, how can I go from not uh, observing the Sabbath to then like carving out a whole day that seems like it's insurmountable, seems like I can't do that, right? Would you consider today, man, what's one step that you can take towards a Sabbath rhythm? Maybe the Lord is just saying, hey, you just, maybe you just stop, Right? Maybe you just, you just stop from work, um, man, and trust that God's on the throne. Or maybe for you, it's like, no, I'm going to start with the resting aspect. There's some things that I can do that replenishes my soul, my soul and restores my soul. So maybe you'll start there. Or maybe you'll just begin in delighting, man, and enjoying God's creation and his gifts. Or maybe you want to be more intentional about you focusing on how you experience God's love. How can you take one step? And then how can we how can we live a life that we're broken before the Lord? Like, like let's not even talk about our self-righteousness, but just endeavor to, man, just be broken and understand that, man, our confidence is built on Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you recognize anything in you that, 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 that your confidence sits on, man, would you turn away from that thing? And would you turn towards Jesus? Man, so we can love the people that are around us so that they can, can truly experience Jesus through you being in their life. So we're about to go. Um, so you guys can stand. And I just want to pray for us as we, as we leave, and then, and then you guys can, can be on your way. Um, again, if you're new here, don't forget to, to stop by the to Connect Point to, to say hi to, to some friends that want to greet you. Uh, again, join us in Luke 7. Um, this week it's going to be really good. Let me pray. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. That, that, man, in the system that you created, you built in a way for us to enjoy you. 
you built in a way for us to be refreshed and, and rejuvenated, man. And we thank you, Lord, for that. So help us, Lord, as you're as you're forming us. Help us, Lord, to help reorient our priorities. Help us to, to look at our lives and, and our, the, what's weighing us down and, and the burdens that we have. Help us to see them through your lens. Help us to, to see what's important and what's not important. Help us to rearrange our lives so we can carve out time to be with you and enjoy you each and every week. Well, I pray that as we go today, that we go today endeavoring and determining to be broken before you. That we, can, that we won't have confidence in anything else but our relationship with you. Man, so that we wouldn't be a stumbling block to the people that you put us in, that you put us, um, that you encounter, that we encounter as we go about, as we live our lives. So help us to be broken before you and help us to experience the way that you carry us and sustain us in our brokenness. Lord, we thank you and we love you. May we go forth from this place and bear witness to your goodness. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name.